0: Uh, Good morning, I'm Margaret and I'm going to read from the Bible now, um, without a paper bag. (laughs) Uh, We're we're reading from um, Song of Songs, uh, Chapter 2. If you would like a church Bible, please indicate. Uh, Megan and Robin have some if you would like one. Uh, If you do have a church Bible, it's um, on page... uh, 594 actually 595 so I'm reading from chapter 2 beginning at verse 8 listen my love is approaching look here he comes leaping over the mountains bounding over the hills my love is like a gazelle or a young stag See, he is standing behind our wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice. My love calls to me. Arise, my darling. Come away, my beautiful one. For now the winter is past. The rain has ended and gone away. The blossoms appear in the countryside. The time of singing has come. And the turtle dove's cooing is heard in our land. The fig tree ripens its figs the blossoming vines give off their fragrance. Arise, my darling, come away, my beautiful one. My dove in the clefts of the rock, in the crevices of the cliff, let me see your face, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, for our vineyards are in bloom. My love is mine and I am his, He feeds among the lilies until the day breaks and the shadows flee. Turn around, my love, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the divided mountains. In my bed at night I sought the one I love. I sought him but did not find him. I will arise now and go about the city through the streets and the plazas. I will seek the one I love. I sought him but did not find him. The guards who go about the city found me. I asked them. Have you seen the one I love? I had just passed them when I found the one I love. I held on to him and would not let him go until I brought him to my mother's house, to the chamber of the one who conceived me. Young women of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and the wild does of the field. Do not stir up or awaken love until the appropriate time.
1: Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see you here today. Uh, I want to say how much appreciated your prayers over the last week. Uh, that uh, was a bit, a bit sick for the last week, but uh, feeling much better now. So thank you very much for your prayers. Uh, and it's great that we're here today uh, to be studying God's word. It's just an awesome privilege that our God speaks to us about every detail of our life. Uh, and he speaks in so many different ways. And here we are studying Song of Songs. It would be great if you kept the Bible open in front of you kind of as we work our way through it thinking what god has to say to us about his love for us in jesus and and the way we show love to one another um, but as we come to hear god speak why don't we pray to him now and ask him to help us to listen and understand so let's pray our gracious heavenly father thank you so much for bringing us here to, together today thanks for this beautiful day that you've given us thank you for each other and thank you for your word father we pray that you'd help us to listen to know you to love you and to respond in faith And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me ask you, should a house be open or locked up? There are only two options. You have to pick one. Should your house always be open, every window, every door, 24-7, all through the night, always open, no matter what? Or should your house be closed and locked all day, all night, never open, no window, no door, not once opening, not even a little, no matter what. You have to pick one of those options and if you pick one, you can't have the other. Well, it's a stupid question, isn't it? But I want to say that is exactly how our world does ethics. That's how our world does morality. That's how our world decides right and wrong. puts up two stupid options As if they are the only choices and makes you join them in their stupidity and in particular they do this with sex and love and relationships should you have sex with anyone everyone all the time just sex whoever whenever or should you never ever have sex and not even go close to it the world puts forward those two options they're the only two options they say And if if they're the only options, I guess, we're having sex all the time with everyone and anyone. And if you disagree with us, then you must think sex is evil and you hate it and you forbid it. That makes as much sense as saying I should keep all my doors open and windows completely open 24-7, even in the middle of the night, even in the middle of winter, because I don't like the idea of never having them open ever and being locked up. Of course, what makes much more sense is to open the doors when it's good, open the windows when you need to, and then close them at the right time. Although when they're open, get ready for your dad to say, what, were you born in a tent? But it's the same with sex and marriage and love. There is a right time. There is a very good time for love and for marriage and for sex. And there is a right time and a very good time for saying no to these things, for recognising that there are more important things. And this is a big part of what we keep seeing, keep being reminded of in Song of Songs. It's a repeated refrain. Do not awaken or stir up love until the appropriate time. Now, Song of Songs is the kind of book where you get the big idea, you get the vibe of what's going on, you get the impression. Even when the small details are hard to pin down precisely, you get some really powerful, big truths coming through the whole book. And there are three foundational ideas that I want to make sure we keep reminding ourselves of through this series to help us really have a framework for this book and the ideas that it contains. And the first is, it is a glorious thing that God has made us male and female. This book is part of the celebration in the Bible of how good maleness is and how good femaleness is. And they are made for each other. We are made, we are designed by God to fit in with each other and to be enjoyed by each other. This, what this book is filled with delight and joy and happiness and excitement in each other's differences. So much of this book is the wonder and delight of what God has made in the other. So in a world that is completely and utterly lost on truth and identity, I want to reaffirm how precious and God-given a gift it is that God has made you female. Women, you are loved by God, personally created, handcrafted by God. He made you and He knows you. He understands you and He loves you just as you are. In your particular expression, your individual expression of being feminine, of being a woman, you are precious. You are special to God, just as you are. And similarly, I want to say how precious and God given a gift it is, men, that God has made you male. And I know there are times when we can think, well, why didn't God make me taller or skinnier? Why didn't He make me smarter? or funnier, or better looking, or better at sports. But trust me, having all those things is still a burden, but it's, it's not as easy as you think, but I'm not sure why you're laughing at it, but you know what? You know that kind of, like, why wasn't I made different? Some people even find themselves wondering, why didn't God make me a boy? Why didn't God make me a girl? but God made you, you. You are made to be like him in his image. Our maleness and our femaleness is a precious gift from God that he's given us for our blessing and to enable us to serve him. And that's the only way we'll understand our identity and significance. When we remember The reason God made us as we are with our body and our personality, with our soul and with our identity is so that we can serve him the way he intended. So maleness and femaleness are both beautiful and good and amazing and together they are extraordinary, which leads us to point two. And that is that marriage and sex is a wonderful and beautiful gift from God that is to be treasured and enjoyed that is delightful but it needs to be understood see our maleness and our femaleness both are good but we are designed to be united in companionship united in friendship united each bringing different aspects of personality and physicality bringing it together in love and intimacy and unity even as we find our contentment ultimately in god we're made for each other The problem is our world treats marriage and sex like it's a reusable shopping bag. It's convenient, but it's disposable, and you accumulate many of them. Our world treats marriage and sex like it's a beat-up old second-hand car. They're happy for anyone to drive. Put a ding in it a bit. We don't really care. It's so bashed up it doesn't really matter that much to us. Whereas marriage is one of God's fundamental gifts to humanity. And with it, sexual intimacy and union. Three things the Bible says must always be held together. Marriage, sex and childbearing. Always held together and yet our society wants to separate them. Wants to tear them apart. Wants to have them separate from each other. It doesn't work. And the third point I want to make, these kind of fundamental framework truths and this one is way, way more important than the first two I cannot emphasize this enough let me repeat it make it super duper clear much more important than whether we are male or female they're precious and significant but this is way bigger much more important than our experience of marriage or sex they're nice but this is infinitely more important And this is the big idea that I'd love us to keep getting out of the book of Song of Songs and that is in Christ in the gospel, in being saved and having relationship with God by His grace, then we have the fulfillment, we have the perfection, we have the ultimate relationship and connection. If you are a Christian, then you have the incomparable supreme love and intimacy. You have the acceptance and the purpose and the connection and the belonging that God has made you and saved you for the ultimate fulfillment of all of our desires, of all of our affections and all of our identity and needs can only be found in Christ. All the joys of love and intimacy, all the taste of satisfying love and relationship can only truly be found being connected to Christ. Now think about it. Imagine having someone who is as into you and devoted to you and delights in you, and longs for you, and sings over you, as much as these two do in the Song of Songs. All they do is sing over each other, about how much they want each other. Imagine having that someone like that for you, but much, much more. That's what we have in Jesus. Relationship with Jesus, being a Christian, is far and away the most important thing in life. So here's the thing, you might be happy with who you are, or you might hate who you are. You might be happily single. You might be miserably single. You might be happily married. You might be miserably married. But what really matters is this, being joined and united to the infinite, perfect, saving, forgiving, transforming love of God in Christ Jesus. Having life, having eternal life, having hope, having certain hope, having love, unconditional love. When we get that most important thing, the eternal thing right, when that is healthy, when that is growing, then we can work on how you see yourself and accept who you are. God loves you just as you are. When we get this right, then we can work on how we think about our singleness in light of being the bride of Christ and part of his body, the church. And we can work on how you think about marriage and the deep, painful challenges and distractions, the disappointments that marriage brings, which is actually what today's passage is about. If you try to think about singleness, if you think about sex, if you think about marriage, identity, body, gender, any of those things outside of the gospel and knowing God and his love, then you'll never get it right. So after the longest introduction I have ever given in a sermon, <laughs> let's get to the passage. There are three things that we see in this passage about relationship, about love, specifically here about marriage. Delight, danger, and disappointment. That's what we see in this marriage, in this relationship together. Our passage starts with both the man and the woman excited about being together together and longing for each other. Have a look at verses 8 and 9, the beginning of our passage. Listen, my love is approaching. Look, here he comes, leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My love is like a gazelle or a young stag. Now you can sense here both uh, her anticipation, look, he's coming, and his eagerness. She's excited that he's on his way, And he is going to great efforts to get to her. He's overcoming obstacles. He's overcoming distances. He is committed. He's leaping over mountains. He's bounding over hills. He is keen to get there. Nothing is going to stand in his way, even if it isn't easy or convenient, and she can't wait for him to get there. But it's interesting. It says that he stops at her wall and uh, looks in, and calls her out to join him. Uh, There in verse 9, keeps going. See, he's standing behind our wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice. My love calls to me. Arise, my darling. Come away, my beautiful one. See, he's eager and he's committed. He wants to see her, but also he he stops at an appropriate distance, calls out to her, come and join me. He's come 90% of the way. He's made it very easy for her, but he still invites her. He still calls her to join in. And he invites her to come away with him. And because he says in verse 11, the winter is past. The rain has ended. The winter of waiting and of separation, of being apart, being stuck at home while he's away, it's over. And verse 12 says it is now spring. And what's true of the seasons and what's true of the land, there is a time to plant and there's a time to harvest, there's a time for rain and there's a time for sunshine and there's a time to wait and a time to get busy. It's it's true of their love and their relationship. Springtime is the appropriate time. Now is the time, he is saying, for our love to be expressed. Verse 13, it's time for their relationship to blossom, their love to be fruitful and fragrant and expressive and then he finishes this little chorus the way he started it come away my beautiful one he says come away because the truth is you have to leave something behind every time you enter a relationship of love and i know everyone spends their time thinking about what they will gain in love what will i get I'm going to be happy now. I'm not going to be lonely now. I'm not going to be sad now. Uh, But in many ways, you leave behind as much as you get. And you see this in the next verse, that even in the midst of this delight in one another, there is the acknowledgement of difficulty and even danger in relationships. Come away from your comfortable home. Come and join me. But where? Look at verse 14. My dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the crevices of the cliff, Let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. For your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Now calling her his dove is an affectionate term of beauty and love. But notice the context now is his delight in her in the crevices of the cliff and in the clefts of the rock and in the solitary mountain paths and in the hard rocky places. He's calling to her her. While she's safe, she's warm in her home, she's behind a wall, she's comfortable. Come with me, enjoy our love together, let us delight in each other. Come and be with me, but leave behind what is comfortable and safe and familiar and come and join me even in hard times. He knows it won't always be easy in the lonely and rocky places of life, She is his dove, he wants to see her face, he wants to hear her voice because her voice is sweet and her face is lovely. He knows that relationships can be hard and times are difficult and he acknowledges it but calls for her to come with him and in response she too recognises, I think, the dangers faced in love and relationships. Verse 15... It's not super clear whether it's her speaking in verse 15 or it's still him speaking. It's quite possible they're both saying this bit and this is the duet part of the song. This is the islands in the stream part of them singing together. But either way, again, verse 15 acknowledges danger. Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, for our vineyards are in bloom. Now, a little bit like a cat, kind of breaking into church and just sneaking through and kind of randomly joining where it's not meant to be. Foxes are sneaky and cunning. They are pests. They can ruin farms. They can ruin crops. They ruin vineyards. In fact, Samson in Judges gets a whole bunch of foxes to ruin the crops of his enemies, just destroys the crops. When Jesus hears that Herod is trying to kill him, He calls him a fox. He says, go tell that fox about the ministry of the kingdom that I am doing. So here in Song of Songs, there are pests, there are nuisances, there's danger. It's not clear what specific things these foxes are referring to, but they're dangerous pests. They're nuisances that if you don't do anything about them, they can bring ruin in a loving relationship because the vineyard is them. It's the couple, it's their relationship, it's their love, it's meant to be enjoyable, it's meant to be fruitful, it's meant to be productive. So maybe the foxes are things coming from the outside like work is too distracting or other people are bringing too much stress or there's time for everyone else or everything else but there's no time for each other. But maybe the foxes are on the inside and there's arguing about money Or there's lying which ruins trust, or there is selfishness, or there's just not listening. Whatever the foxes are, the unwelcome pests, the nuisances, the little things that bring destruction and damage, whatever the dangers are, catch them. See, marriage and love is not just about the simple joy of staring into each other's eyes as everything comes naturally, it actually requires hard work and sacrifice. It takes effort. You need to be careful. You have to work at tending the vineyard of your love, which is as much about making sure you enjoy the good things as it is about making sure to remove the dangerous threats. You know what? It's just like that in our relationship with God. We are loved. We are saved. We belong to Him, but we need to work hard to get rid of the things that distract us from our love for God? What are the things that undermine your love for God? That get in the way of your love for Him being fruitful? What are the things that tempt us to love them more than we love God? They take our time and our energy and our heart and our mind and our devotion away from our greatest love. Maybe the way you think about marriage and sex is getting in the way of you being fully devoted to God. That's what we saw last week. Mark helpfully reminded us that marriage is a sign pointing to the reality of Jesus. And you're travelling on a long weekend, you're going away to have a, a bit of time away, you're going off on holidays, you don't stop, park the car, hop out, settle in for a nice three days sitting at the foot of the signpost that says Blue Mountains. Blue Mountains or Jarvis Bay, or whatever it is. No, the sign is helpful pointing you to the reality. Go enjoy your holiday. That's where you need to be. Marriage is a sign pointing to relationship with God through Jesus. That's where we need to be. That's our eternal, heavenly reality. Whatever those foxes are, be on guard for them, catch them, destroy them, get rid of them. Because love is not truly love if it's only real in the easy times. God's love proves that, doesn't it? Love is not really love if it's only true in the easy times. Now, speaking of God's love, having acknowledged the kind of danger, in verses 16 to 17, we're kind of back to expressing love and delight and commitment and the woman expresses her intense and affectionate love for her husband in language that evokes the covenant commitment of God for his people. Have a look at verses 16 and 17. My love is mine and I am his. He feeds among the lilies until the day breaks and the shadows flee. Turn around my love and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the divided mountains. Having faced separation, hardships, dangers... Here is the intimate joining of husband and wife. She calls herself a lily back in chapter 1 and here is the image of him enjoying her, joining with her in sexual intimacy. And as they delight in one another and as they enjoy their union together as God has designed them, notice she starts this section with this beautiful line, my love is mine and I am his. I belong to him. And he belongs to me. And you know what? That is exactly the covenant vow that God makes to his people. In Jeremiah 31, let me just read very quickly from Jeremiah 31. This is God's promise in the Old Testament of a new relationship, a new covenant. He says, look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, This one will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors on the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, even though I'm their master, the Lord's declaration. Instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, the Lord's declaration. I will put my teaching within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And it goes on in some pretty beautiful promises of what Jesus will accomplish and in particular (coughs) what the Holy Spirit provides when he comes in our lives. But God says, did you notice that? I will be their God and they will be my people. I am theirs and they are mine. We belong to each other. And as he promises to fill us with his Holy Spirit and to dwell within us That's a pretty intimate union between God and his people that where we are, he is. He lives in our hearts. He is never separated from us. So we will no longer wander away from him because we are spiritually united with Christ. Our beloved is ours and we are his. Even her expression of love for her husband is really a prophecy and a promise Of Christ's devotion to us that he would die and rise again so in today's passage we have looked at the delight between these two as well as we've seen some of the dangers that there are for relationship and love but we finish with a note of disappointment even in a song celebrating rejoicing in love delighting in each other there is a note of disappointment at the beginning of chapter 3 in my bed at night I sought the one I love I sought him, but did not find him. I will rise now and go about the city through the streets and the plazas. I will seek the one I love. I sought him, but did not find him." And when she reaches out for him, he isn't there. When she was looking for him, she couldn't find him. When she went searching for him, she still didn't know where he was. And we don't know what he was doing. Whether he's off at his job and is just working back late, forgot to tell her or he's off watching a movie with his friends and he forgot to tell her, or who knows where he is, but he wasn't there for her. And that is true of love and marriage. There will be times when you need their love and support, and they won't be there. You will reach for them. You will look for their love because you need them. But they don't notice, or they don't realize, or they're too busy, or they're too distracted, or there's something more important to them, or they just don't seem to get it or care. This is the disappointment that comes from being married to someone who is an imperfect sinner just like you. Now, who knows whether she's searching and thinking, has he left me? Has he rejected me? Doesn't he want me anymore? Am I not good enough for him? All of these fears in her mind and... It's not all negative, though, because this section is, I think, meant to convey not only that he wasn't there, but how much she wants him. This is her longing. This is her love. She searches everywhere for him, even asks the guards in the city out at night, what is she doing? But she's like, I need to find him. Have you seen him? But it also expresses that sometimes life gets in the way and circumstances don't work. And there will be times when you will seek and not find. Which is in contrast to the Lord Jesus, isn't it? Jesus promises us, remember, he says, Ask and it will be given to you. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Seek and you will find. That's the difference between any love we experience in this life and the love we have in Jesus Christ. He will never let us down. He will never not be there for us. He will never be distracted or not listen or not care or think anything in the universe is more important than where we are and what we need. He is always there for us. He promises to us after he came back from the dead because he really wanted to be with us. He promises, I am with you always until the end of the age. He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. They're beautiful promises. He's always there for us. Well, eventually the woman does find her man, and the reunion is special. She doesn't let him go, she holds on to him. And again, at this point, having renewed their intimacy, she reminds the young women of Jerusalem the repeated lesson of this song, the repeated lesson of this story do not stir up or awaken love until the appropriate time the world says stir it up whatever you want with whoever you want unless you're in love your life has no meaning that's just so untrue the world says no fall in love all the time fall in love with people at work fall in love with your neighbor if you're married we'll fall in love with someone else If you're not married, keep falling in love, repeatedly, fall in love, just unleash it. This is what life is all about. And the Bible says, no, wait. Don't stir it up. Don't awaken it until the time is right. And when it comes to Jesus, when we find ourselves thinking, unlike the world, we think, oh, actually, there's a time for my relationship with Jesus and there's a time for me to tone it down. No, always stir up this love. Always awaken this love because his love is always there for you. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you have given us the most perfect and infinite love in giving us your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for him dying on the cross in our place. Thank you that he rose from the dead, that we get to have him as our Lord and Saviour forever. Thank you for your abundant love that you have poured out into our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Father, we pray that you'd help us to be content and delight in your love and to understand the place and role of love and marriage and sex in this life. Thank you for the contentment and the fullness that you've given us in Jesus. And we pray it in his name. Amen.